Well, thank you, uh, worship team. You know, I was thinking as we were singing those songs, when we are singing praise, that's what we're meant to do. Uh, when we're doing that together, it's kind of like a fish swimming in water or a bird flying through the air. We were created by God to have a relationship with him um, where we know him and worship him and glorify him. It's what we're made to do. So if you're visiting or you came and you're like, something about this feels right, it's because it's what you're made for. Um, and that's why we do emphasize the singing part of worship. We think all of this is worship, but the singing part is valuable. Even if you don't like to sing, I, I appreciate, Paul, the whole clapping. Some of us don't have great beats, so we wait for other people to do it and then join in. <laughs> or, or luckily, the drummer gives us something good to go. Um, but worship and, and praise is a big deal. And so that's part of what we do. But then we also open up God's word to hopefully hear from him uh, a message, which is also worship, but this time should encourage, convict, strengthen whatever God wants to do in you. That's what we're going to do as we get into God's word. And we're going to be in Daniel again. This is our last week in Daniel. Next week, we're going to look at someone else in exile, but it's page 821 in the Bible in front of you. Not like if you brought your Bible, you're like, how does he know the page number? I don't. But if you don't have one, there's one in the seat. Grab it. Turn to page 821. And as you turn there, I, I'm going to ask a hard question a little bit. How do people view you? Now, a lot of times we talk about this and go, you shouldn't worry too much about how people view you, just how God views you. Um, but forget I've ever said that. Now, how, how do people view you? If we were to sneak around and, and ask, you know, what do you think of this, this person? You know, how do you view them? Would they describe you as a good person, a nice person, an angry person, a loving person, a judgmental person? Would they refer to you as a godly person? Uh, someone who is sold out to Christ. And I would say that's the one that matters most. Do they know about your faith? Do people around you know, not saying they have to accept or even like it, but do they know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Do they know that your life is committed to him and does that show? You know, I was born a few years ago. Um, and when I was born, I had some issues. My, my intestines were in a knot, and the, the doctors didn't know what to do. It took three surgeries um, to make me live. And apparently, it was a big deal. I don't really remember it. But, but it, was, it was heavy. You know, and the church came around, my family and all that. But, but it was one of those things where they weren't sure if I was going to make it or not. Um, and later on, uh, I remember my great-grandmother, we called her Nanny, um, saying, you know, God has a special plan for your life. You know, you went through all that. He, he spared you. God has a special plan. And I don't remember if I heard it from her or from my grandma passing it on or from my mom, I, but I remember those words, and they stuck with me. Um, through even my young life, through my adult life, this idea that, okay, God has a special plan for me, and I felt a little bit of a, a burden. Like, he saved me, like, like for a purpose. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to mess it up. So times of temptation, I'd be like, ooh, am I going to mess up what God wants to do if I give in to this? Or other times when I had opportunities for, for witness or service, it's like, oh, is, is this it? I better, I better step in. If this is what God has saved me for, it gave me kind of some boldness at times to step forward. Now, uh, I wish everybody had something like that early on because I would argue if you've been saved, you've been saved for a purpose, right? N not just saved life, but I mean salvation. You're saved and God wants to do something unique and special through your life, beginning at any age, by the way. But here's what we're talking about today. Um, you know, I want to be ambitious to leave a legacy 
for God? Do you? Do you want to leave a legacy? And by, by legacy, here's what I mean. That we leave things better than the way we found them. Not just socially or economically, but spiritually, right? For God's kingdom, we leave things better than the way we found them. That in the end, legacy, in the end, when we're in God's kingdom, there's going to be, you know, some conversation and, and hearing, oh, because of what you did or who you served, it was passed on um, and you impacted my life through, you know, generations could be. And I hope, again, generational, my, my kids leave a legacy and their kids leave a legacy and we leave a legacy, again, better than the way we found them. Now, here's kind of the, a big point we're going to see in Daniel. The way to leave a legacy of godliness is through small faithfulness over a lifetime. Through small faithfulness over a lifetime. A lot of times, and this is me, we want to see something big, right? We, I mean, we want to see a revival where, where thousands of people are saved all at once. That does happen. That has happened in history. But most of the time, God works through little things kind of added up over a lifetime. Even look at yourself, you know, how you are, where you are. You can probably point to little things that people did, right? Things that God used other people in your life little by little to grow you, to change you. And so leaving a legacy of godliness is through small faithfulness over a lifetime. We've been looking at Daniel, and last week we, we looked at him, and he started young, but then Nebuchadnezzar was saved older, and God used him in a great way, meaning it doesn't matter your age. Some of you aren't young anymore, but God can still use you. And maybe you feel like you're even new to this Christian thing, and you're a little bit older. God can still use you in a great way. And, and young ones, don't look for like someday, no beginning now, God can use you in a great way, beginning now and going through life. So Daniel chapter one, quick context in case you've missed it, um, Israel has been captured by Babylon. Uh, they, Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. Many people have been murdered and taken, and then others taken into exile to Babylon. Uh, we focus in this book on Daniel and three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you remember Veggie Tales, you probably know the song. Um, I'm not going to sing it. But they're taken, and these are young men, so they're probably teenagers. They're taken to Babylon, brought into the king's palace to be trained up, right, to learn Babylonian ways, uh, to learn about their gods. They're given new names, Babylonian names that point to the Babylonian gods. And the whole goal was to transform them into basically Babylonians and then send them back out. So then they go to the Jewish community and go, hey, life here is good. Abandon your God. Let's go this way. The whole point was to get them to conform. And one of the first ways, they, they come into the palace and the king is going to give them the best food and the best wine. And they decide we are not going to eat the best food and the best wine. We are not going to defile ourselves. We are going to remain faithful to our God. And again, they're given new names, but throughout the book you see their new names and their old names. Whenever they refer to themselves, it's by their old names meaning they refuse to conform. And this really does apply to us as we look at our world trying to conform us. They refuse to conform. And we're gonna start, what we're gonna do is kind of skip a stone through the book of Daniel, so be ready to kind of flip through. But I wanna get some pictures of his life to look at, again, a life that leaves a legacy. And it starts early on at the beginning. So uh, Daniel 1, verse 8 Verse 8, this is right after they get there. Uh, there's a eunuch placed over them. You're going to get all the best food, great clothing. You're going to get a good life. And they say, verse 8, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food 
or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. That's one verse. We're going to look later. That's just one little verse, but it shows us a lot. It shows us a lot. This young man, he's cast in this new situation, fairly alone. You know, he has some friends, but his family is gone, right? His, his youth pastor is, is gone. His community is, is gone. But he makes a decision. He's not going to defile himself. That part is huge to a life that matters, to a life of like a decision. There's a line I will not cross. And I have a Lord. I have a God. This is what he decided. You're going to be my God, and I'm not going to go this way no matter what it costs me. Here's your first point. Living a godly life means we first make a commitment to live faithfully. So if you're here and you're, you're not a Christian yet, you're curious, you're checking it out, awesome. We're glad that you're here. We want you to worship. We want you to see what, it, what it's like to worship, to sing praises. But I'll tell you this, at some point, we all have to make a decision. And we know faith, or salvation is by faith alone. Uh, it's by belief alone that Jesus is the Son of God, died on the cross, rose from the dead. But part of that belief is placing ourselves in that belief. We can't really walk the fence. You know, I want Jesus now, but now I want the world. Jesus says you're either for me or against you, meaning at some point we make a decision. And for us, it begins at that moment of salvation. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is what it takes to be saved. Believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And what? Confess that he is Lord. Confess, meaning verbally confess that he is the one in charge. He is God. Salvation means repentance, right? We're walking this way. We're doing whatever we want, the world's way. Repentance means 180 degree turn. Now I have a new God. I have a new Lord. It's not me. It's not the world. It's not pleasure. It's Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, right? But there's a change, right? It's a decision to go a different way. And this confession, maybe you've heard this, right? My, my faith is, is private. Well, let me tell you, your faith is very personal, but it's not supposed to be private. It's supposed to be known. This confession is, is outward. That's why we do baptism, Right When the first believers were saved uh, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and they said, what should we do? They said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism is, is a way to proclaim to everybody else, I believe and I'm in. And that's what we call it here at Common Ground, being all in. Are we all in with what God wants to do, or are we still kind of on the fence? So this life that we're talking about begins with a commitment. And this commitment to Christ leads to bold and risky obedience. Bold and risky obedience. You know, when I've had conversations with people on the fence, you know, I'm not sure, do I, want to, do I want to accept Jesus? The ones I know are really genuine are the ones that are often afraid at that point. And I, ask, I remember one in particular, why are you afraid? Because if I say yes to Jesus, that means he might change my plans for my life. Like, you get it. <laughs> You're right. He might have a different plan than you have. And if so, that's, that's a better plan to go that way. But I, there's an understanding of here's where I want my life to go. But if Jesus is Lord, that means he gets to tell me where to go. That can be a little scary. What, what if he calls you to be a missionary, to, to go to Africa, to go to wherever? Who knows what God might call? Will you honor and obey God if it costs you your job, a relationship, Maybe a class that you don't get a good grade in, right? Bold obedience means we're going to do some things that the world is not going to like. 
Others aren't going to like, and it's going to cost us. You know, we already saw uh, Daniel's three friends. You know, here, they make a commitment. They say, we're not going to defile ourselves, so can we eat only vegetables? And the eunuch put over them says, okay, if this fails, the king's going to take my head, but I'll do it anyway. This was really risky for them to ask it. And if they're going to behead him, they're probably going to behead them. This was risky. Later, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the song's in your head, I know, right? They have this opportunity. They're told to bow down to an idol, and they say, no, we won't do it. They say, well, then you're going to be cast in the fiery furnace. They say, our God will save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to go away from him. We're going to stay obedient, right? That's bold. Again, we saw that a few weeks ago. God does save them but bold obedience. Now back to the story, right? Remember, uh, the king has a dream, King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel interprets the dream. But before Daniel interprets the dream, there are others that come in, right? He has all his magicians, and he wants all of them, right? Somebody interpret this dream, and they can't do it. So he's going to behead all of them. He's going to kill them all. Daniel says, don't do it yet, right? He prays to God, God, can you help us out here? God gives him the interpretation, I want to look at what Daniel does when he goes to the king this first time. This is really big. What he says to the king before he interprets the dream. This is Daniel 2. Look at verse 25. Yeah, flip that page over. Daniel 2, verse 25. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days. This is huge, right? He comes in, he says, can you interpret? He says, no, nobody can. But there is a God. Notice he doesn't say, well, my God, right? Or, or I believe he is bold to say there is one God and he can do it. Nobody else can do it. In this, right, he's probably in, in a court here, and the other magicians are over here, and Daniel comes before and says, they don't have the truth. They can't do it. There's one can, and not even me, but it's the one God in heaven. That's bold. He is basically telling all of them their faith is wrong. That's not politically correct. It's not. Leaving a legacy means we openly share the good news of the gospel in contrast to the false promises of the world. Meaning, telling what you're, this will not fulfill. Or this is not true. I know when we go to share our faith, a lot of times, well, I believe. And we, we do that because we, we want to be gracious, right? We want to be accepted. We want to care about the other person. Maybe sometimes it's more of, here's the truth. Not this is my truth. Again, that's our cultural thing that's moved into the church. Well, my truth is this. No, the truth is there's one God revealed in Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose from the dead. There is no other way to salvation. There is no other God. And so for us to say, well, I believe it's kind of, you know, lowering the truth. How about we boldly say, here's the truth. Take it or leave it, but we do it with grace and love, right? 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect. 
So we're bold to share the truth, yet with gentleness and respect, not with anger, right? Not with, with belittling, with gentleness and respect. Daniel is bold and he's to the point. I think this is big about living a, a life that's gonna leave a legacy. I remember um, having a, I had a Mormon friend and we would get together and, and talk about spirituality and life and religion and truth. And I asked him a lot of questions. Like, you believe in, okay, the Book of Mormon? Yes. You believe the Bible? Yes. Do you really believe the Bible? Yes. Well, this says that and this says this. Those don't line up. He's like, well, I just believe. I said, okay, but you can't. Like, it, it doesn't match up. You can't say you believe this and this. One is right or they're both wrong. Well, I still believe. We, and we had a great friendship even going on, but it was, I, I was calling him out saying, what you believe cannot be true. It's false. This is the only truth. And again, hopefully I did it with grace and gentleness and we continued to be friends, but that's what it takes, honestly, is a boldness to share the truth. Daniel did it in 600 BC. Let's look at how Paul does it in 60 AD, a little bit later. Paul is in uh, Greece and he goes up to a, a hillside. It's called Mars Hill. And that's where the, the religious people would get together and talk about different religions. That's all kind of brought together. They were very synchronistic, meaning they accepted lots of gods and just brought them into their pantheon. And so Paul goes and speaks to them and he says this in Acts 17. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, thank you, Areopagus said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. In this whole speech, he is countering what they believed. First, he encourages them, right? I see that you're very religious. You know, they would have been like, yeah, we are. It's like, and you have this thing to an unknown God. Guess what? I know who that one is. Oh, right? They're interested. And the truth is against all the things that you believe. He's not served by human hands. They believe that the gods needed us right? And that our job was to appease these different gods because a lot of times they get angry. And so we have to do things to appease or to get their favor. He says, the God, this, there's only one God. He doesn't need you at all, right? And, and he's created you for a relationship that we would seek after him. So he is countering all that they believed. Again, this type of bold witness is a result of confidence in God. And so that's what I want to ask. I look at all these, say, are you confident in the truth? confident enough that you can go out and share it with boldness, again, with love, respect, with grace. But hey, here's the truth. If not, we'll just keep coming, right? Get in groups so we can, we can get this confidence that there is one God revealed in Jesus so that we can be willing to share it. To leave a legacy of faithfulness, we never stop being a witness and sharing the good news of Jesus. Again, this is over a lifetime, small obedience. Leaving a legacy, small obedience over a lifetime. 
But part of that is going to be sharing our faith, sharing the truth. Here's a, a fact. When we become believers, we get involved with the church, a lot of times, over time, we get more and more involved with church people and less and less involved with the community or, or unchurched people. The problem with that, that's very good, right? We want each other. We are a family. We need to be together. We need one another in community and worship. But then we also need out, you know, right? We have our three key relationships up here that we talk about. Up, our relationship with God, in, our relationship with one another, but then also out, Meaning, at any age, do you have relationships with people that don't know Jesus yet? Our community around here, the demographic, we're kind of old, right? We have an older demographic. That's good. Who's going to reach maybe the older generation best? The older generation. Meaning, no matter what age, you have a purpose. You have a mission field right here around you. So let's put the tape of Daniel's life in and push fast forward a little bit. Those of you younger, that was a thing once. Like we had these, they were called VHS, and you would put it in, and then you'd have to fast forward. Oh, that's our spot, right? Okay, so that's what we're doing, right? And we're fast forwarding now to chapter five. Flip over to chapter five, right at the end. So Daniel chapter five. Now, Daniel was faithful serving this Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. Right? Nebuchadnezzar is saved because of God's work 100%. God is sovereign. And through Daniel's faithfulness, God works through his people, not around them. Nebuchadnezzar dies. A new king takes over. This king is kind of a dummy, right? And, and he, he gets all proud of himself, and God gives him a chance to repent, uses Daniel. He says no, so he dies. Right? And then a new king takes over. But I want you to look at this, starting in uh, uh, 5, verse 30. Right? Just so we see the flow of history, that very night, Belsh, uh, Belshazzar, that's the next king, the Chaldean was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Again, one verse, but this is historical. Something happened right here. The Babylonian king died, and there's a new king, and he's Persian. There was a whole kingdom shift here. The Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. New kingdom, new rule, new gods, all, all this stuff, right? It's a new order, a different king. And you would think a new king, right, somebody who conquers and takes over, they're going to get rid of all the officials of the old one. But look at chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Wow. Right? A different kingdom and he moves to the top of that one as well. He's faithful. You know, I guess we could say Daniel kind of goes with the flow. Right? He remembered what Jeremiah told him in exile, seek the welfare, the welfare of the city I have placed you. In its peace, you will have peace. He is ambitious right, to serve the kingdom, but never to stray from what God would have. Right? This is your next note. A faithful exile does not keep their faith a secret no matter what. How do we know? Let's look on at verse 4. Then the high officials 
And the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. That's awesome. Can people say that of you? Can people say that of me? I want to find fault, but I can't. They're honest, they're hardworking, they're faithful, they're joyful. Oh, but I could find fault because they're genuinely committed to this God revealed in Jesus. Can that be said of us? Well, Daniel, again, these people, kind of this new group, immediately knew who his Lord was, right? They wanted to bring him down. They were jealous, but they couldn't unless it had to do with his God. Now look at verse six. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. They're trying to take him down, right? They appeal to the king's pride, this King Darius. He sounds great. So kind of like what happened earlier. Nobody can pray to anybody else unless it's to me. No other gods. Before we look on, just a, a quick question. How old is Daniel here? How old would you guess? Well, he was a teenager, right, when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and brought him. He's probably around 80 now. He, he's an older guy, right? I'm not going to have you stand up if you're 80 or older. Um, but he's 80, and he's still faithful. He's still working hard, right? People know his faith. 80 years old. Here's the point that sticks out to me as I studied this whole thing. When we did this series, right, I was hoping to go look at Esther and kind of some other exiles, but I couldn't get over this one big point. He was faithful over a lifetime. He was faithful young all the way through the end of his life. And we don't see all the details day to day, but we know he was faithful day to day. And every now and then he had big opportunities for boldness and he took them. Daniel is, is not a young pup anymore. Galatians 6, 9 says this. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. If you've been a Christian long, going through this life, right, sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we get weary, right? Oh, we, we keep doing kind of the same things, or we have the same problems coming over and over. Let me encourage you, that is common to man. We all go through that, meaning persevere, we can make it all the way till the end. We can go. Faithfulness, leaving a legacy means exactly that, that we persevere over time. Now, how does he persevere over time? This next part is huge. Don't miss it. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement, and they found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Before we look at anything else, what is Daniel doing? 
praying. How often? Three times a day, as was his habit. The person who leaves a legacy will have a vibrant personal prayer life. There's no way around it, right? Again, we look over at these three key relationships. Number one, up. Do you know your most important relationship in life is with God, right? Jesus is the essence of transformation. We need to spend time with him, time in prayer, time in scripture, hearing from him. You know, I like the idea of, of praying in the morning, right? And never saying amen, right? It's like we open the phone call and then we just leave it off the hook. Right? Or we leave it in our pocket on speaker and he hears everything that's happening and every now and then we can refer to him. Hey God, what do you think about this? Walking day by day, fully dependent on him. Daniel was dependent. He's still 80 years old and he's dependent, right? He's not this self-righteous, independent person, you know, kind of the American dream, right? I don't need anybody. No, we're, we're dependent. Jesus will call this abiding. Paul will call this walking in the spirit. How do we live a life where we can leave a legacy? We, we walk daily in tight connection with Jesus. And as we drift away, right, we come back. He's always waiting for us. He's not mad at us when we drift away, but we come back and we stay close to him. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me tell you, we wanna have a bold impact in the world around us. We cannot do it realistically or successfully if we are not tightly connected to Jesus because that's when he grabs our heart. That's when he encourages us, right? And emboldens it so we don't get tired because we're gonna encounter kind of the same things over and over. This was his habit. The way to leave a legacy of godliness is through small faithfulness over a lifetime. Daniel is caught praying how? They knew he was going to be there. He did it three times a day with the windows open. It was pretty easy for them to catch him. Look at verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king has established can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and, and sleep fled from him. I want to go back to our previous point real quick as we look at this, perseverance. This is so much like what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, in the fiery furnace. It, it's mirrored, and this is, what, 60 years later? You, you would think, right, we've moved past this. No, faithfulness means endurance, meaning we're going to go through the same things probably again and again. Same maybe relationship issues, same oppression. You, know, you might have a job where it's difficult to be a believer, where you, know, you have to be careful with your boldness. Guess what? That's probably gonna get worse. Hopefully not. We pray that it doesn't. But can we be ready to be faithful again and again and again? Right? Small faithfulness over a lifetime. Now will Daniel be delivered or not? Look at verse 19. Then at, day, at the break of day, the king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions. 
As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And then the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, one of those you don't want to read to your kids at bedtime, right? <laughs> Yet this is one of the popular kid stories, Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel is delivered, right? He's delivered by his faith, his commitment to God. But remember back when his three friends went, they said, God can deliver us. He will deliver us. But even if not, we'll be faithful. Daniel has that same kind of faith. I'm going to go. But I might die, right? That could happen. But he goes anyway. He's faithful, and then this king sees this. Again, this king knew about Daniel's faith. He wasn't keeping it a secret. So he knew. He said, hey, you're God whom you worship. And then he himself went and had an understanding even of how Daniel worshiped. He fasted and he prayed. Weird, right? This is a new king and a new nation, right? A new empire. And he's having the same experience with God because of Daniel. Listen, God in his sovereignty works primarily through his people, not around them. Through his people, not around them. Look at what this king does. Verse 25. Then King Darius, he wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Wow. A new king is now writing a decree and sending it to the known world. You should all praise the God of Daniel. W was he converted? I don't know exactly. It kind of looks like it. <laughs> We're not totally sure. But here's some things we do know. So this King Darius, uh, the next king is King Cyrus. Many will argue it's the same person or that Darius was actually a general in Cyrus' army, um, but it's the same kingdom, Persia. Darius writes a decree that the, the Israelites in exile, again, the Babylonians had brought them into exile. Darius writes a decree, you can go back. Cyrus also, a few years later, will write another decree, you can go back, and this time he sends them money to rebuild the temple, and all the items that were in the temple that were taken out, he sends back. You can't tell me Daniel didn't have a part of that. Daniel, this, this old Jewish man, is that king's right-hand man. And again, God is sovereign. He, God had said he's going to do this through the prophet Jeremiah. Daniel knew that. Later, you see Daniel praying, God, do what you promised to do. And he's in the spot to be part of that. That's really cool. Again, read Ezra and Nehemiah. And, and you see the, the exiles coming back. Again, not all of them. In fact, it was only a remnant. It was very few. Many in Babylon were conformed. They stayed. Some went back. You don't, in Ezra and Nehemiah, you don't hear about Daniel. 
But Daniel, at that same time, was at the right hand of the king. That's kind of cool, right? Again, God in his sovereignty has complete control, but he's working through his people. We're going to stop there, but real quick, this idea of legacy, right? Daniel doesn't go back to Jerusalem. He, he knew he was in the right spot. God had him right there for a purpose, and he fulfilled that purpose. I want to fast forward about 500 years. What happens 500 years later? This guy is born. His name is Jesus, the Messiah predicted throughout the whole Old Testament. Daniel would even have some, some prophecies about this coming Messiah. This Messiah is born, the Son of God, right? The one who would go to the cross for us. After he's born, they move into a house, and he, they get some visitors, three magi from the east. Again, we are making some assumptions here. But who are these magi? Who are these wise men that come and say, we hear the king has been born? The best argument that I've ever read is that these are three Persian wise men. That the, the faith of Daniel, the belief of Daniel, had been passed down for 500 years, right? And they were looking for a Messiah. That's huge, right? That's legacy. Again, we can't say that for sure, right? That's not laid out here. These, you know, were, were descendants of Daniel. We don't know that for sure, but that's the best argument. Right, That these wise men came and brought gifts to Jesus. Again, God in his sovereignty, he's got this big plan going on. And he works through his, his people. This is a legacy. The best thing we can pass on is faith in the one true God. So do it. So do it. Yeah, as we wrap up, we're going to continue to worship. How is your faith known around you? Again, it, it starts up. I'm not telling you to go out and just be a good person and be super vocal. But let's abide, walk in the spirit, and then be open. What does God want to do in and through us? We have a great opportunity where we live. And God has placed you where he's placed you for a purpose. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we believe this. We believe you're sovereign. We believe you have a plan that you are working out. God, we believe you don't need us, that you're going to do the things you are going to do no matter what. But we also believe you have a plan for us and that we will miss out if we're not part of it. God, I, I encourage everyone in this room, I, I ask you to encourage each of us to recognize where we are. What situation are we in that you might want to use us uniquely for your kingdom? To serve, to give, to encourage, to speak the truth of your gospel. And I pray that we would do it, kind of like that last point in there. Let's, let's do it, not just talk about how we should be a witness, but do it. God, we... Uh, we thank you for this example we see of, of Daniel living in exile. God, we know that we are in exile, but someday we're going to come home. We're going to be united with you. And until then, we want to be found faithful. We love you. In your name, amen.